Welcome to the Sacred Body Podcast with Stacey Ramsauer. I'm your host, Stacey, and I believe that the body is a space of reverence. Whether you were talking about your body of flesh and bones that house your soul, spirit, or the body of the earth, even your body of work, I believe the body is a space of sacred connection and reflection. Until we have the capacity, the tools, the language, to relate to our body and express ourselves with ease and authenticity, our relationships and our experience of belonging here to this earth and to each other will be fractured. On this podcast, we explore the dynamics of light and darkness, pleasure and pain, and even comfort living in our own skin. I hope you enjoy. thrilled to welcome back Luis Mojica. Luis, thank you so much for coming back to the Sacred Body Podcast. Um, I've wanted to speak to you again (laughs) since the first time we spoke, but in this um, topic that I have for you today, it's something that's really been enriched by a lot of the content that you've been sharing recently about sexuality and sexual trauma and sort of you know, this, I don't know if I want to say unpopular, maybe unpopular, unpopular approach to turning toward, you know, which is such a pillar of trauma healing, turning toward the thing that seems to be dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that I'd really like to broach with you today is (laughs) what of this phenomenon of postpartum rage? Mm. And the experience of rage that is particular to there's something that has been just with me for quite a while. I mean, I've I've had this experience myself for quite a while and I'm noticing it transforming. And so there's some things that, you know, I I'm learning about it, but I would love to get your perspective, your take on rage as a nervous system experience, as a human experience, and then we can sort of delve into the particularities of birth, postpartum, and you being a parent and being an observer um, of this experience is very valuable to me. So I'm not coming to you as like an expert on postpartum, but coming to you as someone who I think observes very keenly and with a lot of compassion and understands the nervous system to an unbelievable degree. Thanks. Thanks for all that. Um, Yeah, I I love this topic. Uh, This is great because when I met with you in January, I think it was when we met last time, I was just about to embark on these things called slow groups that I started this year, which are these little 20 person groups. And for nine months, we deeply explore one topic through a somatic lens. Mm -hmm. And one of the groups was parenting. So I've had what at this point, almost seven months of just dropping into this like liquid, it feels like with (laughs) these parents, mostly mothers, there's a few fathers there, but mostly mothers to talk about um, everything that comes up in your body as a parent, whether your children are in their 30s, whether they're like three mm-hmm. months old, whether you're pregnant about to have them. 
uh, it, it's been really eye-opening. So I'm going to draw from some of that. That's going to be fun. Um, I think what I love to talk about with rage is the connection of rage to anger. And so to start with anger first mm -hmm. and to really understand it as a super healthy response that doesn't have to be overcoupled with aggression or violence. Yeah. And so we tend to see anger as aggression or violence immediately. Um, part of that overcoupling means we retreat from it, right? If we feel it, we kind of throw it away because of maybe what we've experienced from angry bodies or people in the past. Somatically speaking, it's super simple. Something is overwhelming my body. And that thing that we call anger is my body's response of physically expressing itself outwards to give me space between me and the thing. Mm -hmm. So it's really that simple. It's like, people that aren't seeing me i'm just kind of pushing my hands forward it's like if you imagine a mosquito flying by and the way your hand just kind of moves it away from you it's these really simple graceful gentle movements really of oh my body is being used to negotiate the space between me and something that's breaking a boundary mm -hmm. boundary can be physical it can be being hit or like physically harmed Boundary can be sonic, it can be aural, you can hear a song or music or breaks screeching and they're really loud and they create an overwhelm. So when I say boundary violation or boundary break, I, I just mean any sensation that's too much for your body, right? That's really what overwhelm is. So anger is that really healthy ancient response to sensation is too much, I need to negotiate how close the stimulus is to me, right? That's what anger is all about rage is what happens when the anger is going inwards instead of outwards over a period of time so the energy that wants to propel my hands to push someone or something away from me or even like a flight response we could say so forget fight for a minute but flight response my feet want to move me away from something that smells bad or sounds weird or somebody that's uncomfortable whatever it is and it doesn't it fawns instead or it freezes instead that propellant gets stuck inside mm -hmm. and this is what we call rage. So I'm going to pause there and you tell me where that goes so far. I'm just sitting over here. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. And the, you know, I know I, that I asked you to start specifically with rage and anger and already knowing the context of my question is around postpartum and new parenthood. And there's, you know, all of the things that we have had previously to resource us, particularly like new parenthood is where mm -hmm. I'm centering this. The boundaries are down, like breastfeeding is non-consensual all That's of the right. time. Like there's just a boundary, like the boundaries don't exist anymore. And it's such a, an instantaneous, break from what was and it takes so long to rebuild something new that I think it's just like it's like a shock experience so everything that you're saying about you know the inability it's you know that thwarted fight or flight response it has to go somewhere and I mean yeah, I've asked, I've spoken with several mothers, you know, what do we think the difference is between anger and rage? And almost every single one said in terms of rage, like it's volcanic, but it, like this internal combustive experience. That's right. Even when you say volcanic, you can get this sense of this potent energy that's deep in the core of you. 
that's like erupting and coming to the surface and mm-hmm. how did it get potent it got potent from going inwards instead of outwards so so right. many times so it concentrated yeah yeah so there's two things a bunch of things you said so the first thing is shock uh I, what's so important about postpartum rage is i think right where you had brought, brought up earlier is the sh- the shock trauma of birth it's so you know it's so important to understand that it it for many bodies it is a shock trauma um even even when it's uh spiritually or emotionally or consciously a really beautiful experience what the body goes through in such a short amount of time is really shocking to the body Uh, especially when you are raised in a way that is separate from your indigenous ancestors where there was like a knowledge and and you were watching people birth all the time right in your village (laughs) and in your in your community so it was just a normal part of life your body kind of knew how to do it through watching most people that are giving birth they'd never even seen a birth and so it's it's so new to them that it's it's the the foreign nature of it that like almost like alien experience of giving birth is a trauma in and of itself because it's so strange and and it it has to break the the boundary of your body right it's it's actually the it's like with medical trauma, we call it an inherent violation. It has to violate you to help you. The same thing is true for birth. Like it has to violate boundaries, uh, pain boundaries, how far a body can stretch, your ability to eat, your boundaries of sleep. You can't get sleep because of the pain you're in or being in labor for. My wife was in active labor for 72 hours and was pushing for eight. So it was like so many boundaries were broken in her body, right? And so we have to start with this understanding of boundary violation does not mean abuse. It's just things are pushing your body to an edge that you're not consenting to. Yes. And I mean, you've spoken to this a lot just in your work, but boundary violation is not inherently abusive or violent and so much of particularly with birth, (laughs) I was a doula for a long time. And it's like, so all the things that you're used to being like bad signs are usually really good signs, like the urge to squeal and shriek Mm. and pooping yourself and vomiting. Yes. Yes. This loss of control of what we consider primitive urges or like the, you know, for most of us have been things like you're just not supposed to do, let alone in front of other people. That's right. And that's the big part right there. yeah. Yeah you're witnessed yeah. in that. And I've seen <clears throat> in my own experience as a birth worker, just bearing witness to the impediment of like shyness or yeah. shame in doing the thing. And I think that it's a critical piece of the conversation. And I have some more specific questions about it, but this removal of birth from our everyday ordinary experience. That's exactly right. And you can see it reflected in the removal of death from our everyday ordinary experience. Yeah. That's these two incredible bookends of life yeah. are you have been extracted over the, the centuries. So they're they're foreign. They're things of movies and novels and ideas. Uh, and we and we shy away from them. We don't have a lot of capacity for them. And so what you're saying about the witnessing is so it's so important to me. And part of the initiation of birth is the witnessing is like bodies witnessing a body. So those bodies that know how to do it when it's their time to do it or bodies that have already done it, witnessing the body because they did it and they know you're going to get through and you feel that safety from that assurance from their bodies. It's like it really takes a village of women to hold space 
when that boundary is being broken, that shock is, is occurring. It's a lot of electricity, a lot of energy. Yeah. So it, that moment of this transformation of the body's boundary being broken, that right there is a huge violation that usually for most modern day parents doesn't really get to do its thing. The charge gets repressed because immediately you go into like the modern style of parenting. And what I mean by modern style of parenting is a really isolated experience. You're not out in the fields. You're not singing music for days. You're not chanting. You're not being held. You're not being bathed or washed your hair combed by, you know, five sisters. It's a totally isolated experience where some people are even going right back to work in a couple of weeks. So it, it's important to understand how the body doesn't get the animal body doesn't get that reciprocity of all the energy and the breaking down and the, and the, the inherent violation we're talking about that doesn't get received long enough to metabolize. It just goes into the bones of that body. And then, like you said, you're parenting from those bones and the parenting experience in and of itself is like, what, a thousand violations a day. <laughs> it's just endless. <laughs> so it, and that doesn't really stop. We have these stories yeah. how like once they're 10 or 12 or no, it's like, it's endless. Like they're in their twenties and they come home pregnant or they're like, they're addicted to something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, endless. they get arrested. So you they get like... arrested. They have no money. It's like, use the money you have saved, like bail them out of something. So it, it, it's kind of like an endless experience of, I don't consent to this happening yet. It's happening. <laughs> And the thing is, that's okay. That's actually the nature of parenting. Yes. Where's the where's the response? That's the part we're missing. Yeah. And I think the cultural context in which so much of this is happening, like the repressive context of it should go this way. It's supposed to look like this, even though it hasn't looked that way for anyone on planet Earth ever. Like somehow we've all bought into this story. Yeah. We can see all around us that's not true. It's not like that. There's something <clears throat> there's something there for me about the absence of a shared context for the messiness of it because we're trying so hard to cover it up and keep it clean. And it's like being gaslit by our culture. Well, even when you say that, I, I appreciate that because when I think of the messiness of it, I, I hear I, I hear the term vulnerability and I I notice this trend since the 70s that goes hand in hand with women being liberated, gorgeous. On the other side, women also taking on more masculinity than they need to uh, energetically, right? And I'm not talking about like, again, trans or gender identity. I mean, the energy of I'm not allowed to break because I'm the modern woman. So I have to work. I have to clean the house. I have to cook. I have to do all these things. And this body's over here. It's had this huge violation, this huge break. So th that much more what we call feminine, like that internal yin, messy breaking down, just kind of not giving a fuck because your body has to expulse and do its thing gets repressed because now we're in this very masculinized society, even though we're trying to, to balance it more. It's still like women are now burdening themselves with the roles that men have traditionally had. So they're holding these two things now that are, are too yeah. much for one body without the collective support. And I find it to be really interesting because um, trauma doesn't heal with a ton of masculine energy. Trauma is a very masculine energy. You know, trauma heals with much mm. more of the falling back into yourself. Yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And <laughs> I'm just thinking there's like this mudra that's coming to mind, this hand position 
um, like energetic seal and the left hand representative of the feminine is always the base, is always the foundation, is always the like what you fall back into or lean into mm -hmm. that which holds. And there's something very masculine about the nuclear family. Absolutely. Yeah, we've in so many ways eradicated the feminine, just not only like women holding space for the birth and the early postpartum, but community, that yes. feminine aspect of community that's just like this organism that adapts and moves and holds and shakes things up and yeah nurturing right? action yeah that, that's important because the thing with community and co-regulation that that's so important biologically not even like oh i wish i had more community but biologically these bodies have developed over these years thousands and thousands of years with other bodies because those other bodies help metabolize these shocking experiences yeah, yeah right so when you're isolated or you're you're the individual now which is like a very heroic concept of this one person that can do it all uh, this one person is literally trying to be like 16 aunties and 16 grandmothers and 16 elders and 16 men all that in one body and it, it, we're literally just not built for it. It's too much energy. And so postpartum anything yeah. is really this spiritual and somatic experience of I've just transformed. I've just had a shock trauma. Hormonally, I've transformed overnight. Everything's different now for years. Never going to go back to the way it is ever again. And nothing in my life has shapeshifted with that. Mm -hmm. So my body has changed its shape literally and chemically but my life hasn't changed its shape i'm still having to fit into these boxes that were there before that's incongruent right so it's non-relational and that societal structure dominates the body that's just changed its shape well i've i've not thought before about the non-relational part of it like mm. that it creates such a break in our relationship to everything. Everything, everyone. I mean, the number one thing I've found as a father and I've seen so many parents discover is how much their relationships to their friends change. Mm -hmm. So like the kind of friends, the things you used to bond about, the things you were interested in, you've you've shape-shifted. It's just not there for you anymore. It doesn't resonate the same way because those for lack of better words those like younger immature in a good way not a negative way ways of having a good night <laughs> and, <laughs> they're just not interesting because because yeah. all your time is taken to keep something alive and happy so yeah. the the need to parent something outside of your child there's no capacity for it so our need for nourishment is like our number one desire when you become a parent yes and that that's what interests me is where's that happening for, for each person, right? Yeah, I mean, it takes a considerable amount of effort for, for most women, as far as I can tell, to create community, particularly, you know, and I think this is a common thing. I have a lot of friends who had babies very early. So their children are like 12, 13, 14. It's a very different experience even though it's still intense, it's a very different thing to parent a 12-year-old than it is to parent a two-year-old. That's right. Yeah. And again, the I'm lucky in that most of my community feels very integrated. Like there's a, the 12-year-olds are 
comfortable and so loving and caring, interested in playing with the small children. But I think there's something about that, like, again, the cultural context where we have split so much, you know, we've relegated small children to a problem. So like kids aren't welcome at restaurants. They're not welcome. It, more and more, I think people are like, fuck that. I want to go out. I want to go see a show. I'm going to get these big old headphones. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do this thing. But it's true. It's true. It's, it's like the impulse is there. The impulse is there to lean into what we, we genetically know, our ancestral memory. But the context is still a bit fractured. And to your point about just, you know, things changing, how you want to spend your time. Like I never really wanted to have a lot of people in my house. I was like, no, I'm going to go out. My home is where I retreat and it's my sacred space and y'all can just stay out. And now I'm like, why aren't people just opening my door? Why don't people just come over? (laughs) I want like a stream of people in my space all the time. And even that is, a you know, I think there's lots of people who have a contrasted experience, but it's challenging in our day and age, the way life moves, the city I live in, like, that's just not a thing that is very common. And that's exactly it. It's, it's, um, understandably in the culture when everyone is individually trying to survive like in any way they, they can right yeah. it doesn't make a lot of space again like like I said for the shape shifting that occurs when someone has a, a child so when you give birth and your, your whole physical body changes your brain changes your chemistry changes your life now changes it, it's it's very rare for a lot of people to be able to just kind of follow that change with yeah. a lot of that being reflected at the same time and so let's pretend you had like 20 other women in your life and you're all giving birth around the same time. And you're all like moving through this change and you have the time, you have the resources, you have the space, the ability to have conversations, spend time together, to go on walks. You have this community that's reflecting your experience, right? So, Mm -hmm. so you're kind of matching each other's capacity. I think the, the big thing that we miss with all, all trauma healing work, but especially when it comes to parenting and birthing traumas, um, is the capacity. We're so desire and mind oriented that we we assume that what we had capacity for prior to the kids, we have to also continue to have yeah. capacity for in addition to parenting. When in reality, no, most bodies, even biochemically, they turn into the capacity is just for parenting now. There isn't a lot of space for other things. Oh, yeah. And many lives aren't able to shift to meet that new change. And more and with more and more people, including myself, having babies later in life, there's some added pressure of like, I should be this far along. And it's just like, you know, I'm in a conversation with my partner about whether or not we'll have another baby. And it's like, okay, so I have to prepare myself for all clocks resetting to zero and, and not problematizing that like (laughs) just being on it's like the turning toward again this is the reality of this undertaking that's right even the word you just said problematizing that's the key word for me how we overcouple that is something wrong yes like it's wrong to slow down yes wrong to take time that's what i mean that's what i mean (laughs) 
No, it's so true. And that's what I mean about the masculinization. Yes. Is that piece there? If if it was if it was a balance, I, I don't I don't believe in centering one or the other. I love the fluidity of both. If it was a balance of masculine and feminine moving through like society, societally or culturally, there wouldn't be a stigma to you, let's say, being like, I'm not gonna work for three to five years. Yep. It wouldn't be a negative thing of like the oppressed woman. And it wouldn't be a negative thing of the modern woman. You know, both sides, you, you can win. <laughs> It'd be a new thing of, I'm having a baby. My body wants a lot of time to reorient to this. That's it. That's and it. you'd be celebrated. <laughs> it be, there'd be a negative connotation to it. So that's what, that's what I'm trying to hope to affect change with these parents I've worked with is, well, let's like really normalize. This is totally natural for this stop and this space and this death of things to occur right to reorient your capacity and your needs and something in the like my own inquiry about the rage is that it can be also an indicator of what like a need that's going unmet right that's again right. turning toward the rage is having some inherent intelligence to it this is this is trying to grab my attention there's do, are you familiar with bonnie badnock i'm not she's she wrote a book called the brain wise therapist and it's psychology and neuroscience she writes a lot about trauma from a neuroscience perspective the brain hemispheres and she speaks about rage as um how does she phrase it it's so beautiful it's like <clears throat> the amygdala's call for connection like mm, like yeah and a demand for reconnection when there's a threat present the so can we, can we pause that yeah i just because that's important what you're saying because th there's so much that lies in that there's first of all absolutely it's think of the martin luther king quote of a riot is the language of the unheard hmm. it's like even riot rage we're talking about tantrums Good. like yeah <laughs> we're talking about these you know collective tantrums yes. not to, to boil them down to negatively but we see in our children a tantrum no one sees a child having a tantrum and things that's a violent aggressive child some might not usually you're yeah. usually like they're tired they're hungry they're scared they fell and got hurt like there's something that isn't being heard and they have to get that loud for you to hear it yep. so our own rage works that way it's like what am i I not hearing in my own body not you have to hear what am I not hearing and that's where the the, the solution and the problem is because this is like the catch-22 of trauma work is these big experiences like rage which as we're posturing it the result of an unmet need let's say something unheard in me so has to get really big and loud well how many people have a practice where they're able to be with someone's rage without getting activated themselves very rare mm -hmm. so how does the one with rage again we'll put this through the postpartum lens here's a woman postpartum with rage how does she get held and seen and nurtured by a partner by a friend by a community who don't even know how to be with rage they, they don't so rage is very very rarely seen as a connecting possibility it's something you isolate from and feel shame from maybe go to therapy to try to fix when really it's it's a request it's the body saying just like you said connect listen hold me 
Yeah. And what you'll see when people get held in their rage is they are reduced to like a gooey pile of tears and they have so much space in them afterwards. But when the rage is met with intellect or shame or aggression, it just continues to create a shock trauma response in the nervous system. Yes. I think that like, um, I don't know how to say it. It's like the reinforcement of that initial shock trauma when you're met with over-intellectualization or you probably need medication or- That's right, that's right. It's- Well, think about what you're saying relationally. It's a reenactment. It's like, I just got abandoned again. No one's hearing me. That's right. No one can hear me. Look what happens when I speak. Same thing that we do to our children. Mm -hmm. It's a problem when I speak. It's a problem. Your child's crying. You better not cry in here. You are, this is not okay to cry over this. You know, like we're, we're telling them, I don't know how to hold your rage or your pain. Other people don't know how to hold your pain. The problem is your pain. Right. And then you then you believe it. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And you internalize it and you exile that part of yourself away. So then you don't know how to be with your pain. So it starts really young, right? And then, of course, as adults, we, we keep exiling our own pain. Mm-hmm. The fear of not being mad. Just giving that some space. Yeah. It feels important to include in our conversation the fact of death in the birth process. And I think also the the presence of opposites, like the complexity that is living, but in this context, parenthood, where there's so much life there's so much novelty, there's so much excitement, there's so much joy, so much sweetness, and there's so much death, and there's so much loss, and there's so much sorrow, and there's so much grief, and there's so much lack. Like, you know, it, I think there's a, a really pressing question for me, almost like a rhetorical question, is, is this transformation to parenthood is supposed to be, it's its the rite of passage, but there's something purposeful, intelligent about the death and the suffering that I think are just present. I love, I think that's really the wisdom of being purposeful about the death and the suffering. This is mirroring what we talked about in January, like how young men and little boys going into puberty need someone to hold and teach them how to use this new energy that's taking over their body. It's the exact same thing, right? It's like these parents, these mothers, these bodies need to learn how to now navigate life from a body that changed over in minutes. It, didn't, it wasn't years. It, in minutes, the body is different now. In minutes, your sensual breasts have now become like chapped and bitten by a child. You've now overcoupled being bitten instead of being pleased. I mean, so much changes in a matter of days even, right? So who's there to teach you how to navigate those changes? It, it's it's not very common. It, unfortunately, it's getting more common to talk about it and to make it, yep. there's spaces you can go to depending where you live. 
much more easily, right, to be held in a group of women and to learn these things. So it's, it, we're getting there. It's just about making it part of our culture where our family, our friends, the people that we actually fill our lives with, can they nurture these changes in me? If they can't, it's okay. This is part of the death. My body changes its shape. My relationships can also change their shape. Before this, I was able to relate with you. After this, I'm not. I must now turn to who I can relate to. What we tend to do is we grasp on the people who have always supported us. And when they can't, we keep expecting it. And then we get really isolated. So part of the healing of the isolation is, well, who actually nurtures this new body and, and allows me to be with it? What, where, what, you know, what situations build that capacity? It's not going to be what it was before giving birth. It's going to be new. So it's turning to that newness as well, right? And that's part, to me, that's part of the death. When you said death, I feel like that's the magic of a body that can bring in life, can also learn how to release things and allow things to die for their life to continue. When there's this, you know, longstanding history for my generation and the one before and certainly after, maybe it's less so now, I don't know, but like this over-reliance on birth control and overriding that natural, like, I just think the female body is the most miraculous thing on planet earth, like this built death cycle. Yes. And the normal, no less shocking, but normal experience of pregnancy loss. Like we have that built into our DNA to know intimately death. And by overriding that cycle for so many years, I, I think that's a huge part of why we have zero tolerance for this death process of becoming a mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's brilliant because one thing Camille, Camille's, uh, you know, she's on my team. One thing her and I talk about a lot is when someone has a miscarriage and thinking that it has to be a bad thing. It's like, why? You know, and people listening to this might be like, no, fuck you. It's a bad thing. Like that was painful for me. I hear you. I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm not saying like everyone should have a miscarriage. I'm saying there's such a duality of this is the way, this is the wrong way. Yeah. And so when you're pregnant, the way is to give birth. But just like you said, these bodies, these gorgeous female bodies, they know how to let things die. They do it every 28 days. They let something die. So it's like built in there to allow things to die or to allow things to live. So if something dies inside of your body, just like it would during your period, that's that's an amazing, miraculous moment that I believe should be held in the same level of sacredness yeah. as giving birth and coming to term. So I, I find that interesting, the way we even hold those dualities of the, quote, incompletion of a cycle or something like that. Yeah, like, you know, again, the taking time, we know lo- we've lost, we've rejected the option of taking five days to sit and lay and rest and eat and be with other women to learn our bodies and commune about the cycle and to feel into the those perhaps like preparatory shock waves absolutely something like that I think there's something really really significant here and again this is a conversation that is happening more and more but the I, I would like to reinforce what you said about miscarriage like it's not inherently a bad thing i've i've experienced pregnancy loss it's shocking the grief is still with me it can be devastating and in most cases it's an intelligent response from your body right which 
again, holding that complexity is the gift. Having that capacity to be with the duality. Yes. This is this is a loss and it's it's life-giving in a lot of ways. And we understand, you know, understanding loss and death within my own body changed, gave me new capacities mm. as a person, as a friend. Mm-hmm. It's it goes so deep into our ancestral inheritance and what we've cut ourselves off from, even like killing our own food. That's right. That's being right. able to be with that as like a rite of passage, a marker right. of now it's my turn to take responsibility for feeding my family. And it's a Absolutely. lot of work. Even that relationship between killing your food and it gives you life. It, yes. There's this nature has taught us, right? And our lives teach us that death gives us life. Like they're they're not separate. They are so relational. They're, they're yeah. one of the same. And I, I love I love what you're saying. Um you know, about how much it taught you to have something die in you and to be alive in you as well. Like that, that's gorgeous. And this goes to this underpinning of this word consent. No one consents to trauma. You know, it's it's why we suffer so much because we are like, I didn't ask for this. Like no one asks for anything. Like we're born here and we are so disconnected from nature that we have this very human centric concept now that yeah. we just decide everything and we we don't it's it's, it's a beautiful sham that we're in control <laughs> right yeah. but it's, it's so i love i love the practice i find it to be a very radical practice of actually consenting to i didn't consent to this like mm. playing with it like i didn't consent to the miscarriage I didn't consent to the birth. I wanted it. I didn't consent. The body does it. The body's sovereign from all these things that I want. Yeah. So it, part of the healing, part of the sanity of all these experiences are fighting them, taking them personally, thinking you should have went the other way or honoring them as something that has nothing to do with you. That you're just a part of and how am I choosing to relate to it? Mm-hmm. I can re- yes, I have a relationship to the miscarriage. I have a relationship to the death or I'm resisting it, mm-hmm. which if you really think about it on your body, if I'm resisting the miscarriage, I'm actually cutting myself off from connecting to that spirit, to that whole experience. Yeah. So I find that really beautiful with everything we're talking about relating to it. it, it for me is always the answer of how to move through it and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to probably, probably in closing, depending on, you know, where it leads, but I'd love to get your take on the role of men and like community for men and that missing piece. I think in in spite of all the ways that it's hard to become a parent and, you know, to become a, a mother in our current culture, it's still easier to find community. And the implications of men not having community and support and their capacity to be a support and a container Mm -hmm. for this massive transformation for their female partners. I'd just love to hear your thoughts on this. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's part that doesn't get spoken about. So I appreciate you even asking. Um, the focus is is usually so much on the woman. It's um, like, how can you support her? What does she need? Uh, which is excellent. And they're like, well, 
what are the bodies supporting her? Where are they getting support? That's the part we don't ask. Then we wonder why um, people end up cheating or break down or have like psychosis or get really angry or get isolated. Yeah. Uh, these bodies are trying to find safety because they're now responsible for two bodies when before maybe they weren't responsible for any. Um, I know for me, my wife's birth like masculinized me. I was so much more feminine before that. And then suddenly I felt this thing waking up in my bones. Like I felt all the men in my, my family coming through, almost like propelling me into overwork uh, mode. And I, I was not a worker prior to that. Like I was happy to quit all my jobs. And, <laughs> <laughs> like cancel. I had no, I had no website. I had no cell phone. I had no interest in having a business. Like the last thing I thought about doing in my life was having a career. The last thing. And so I was just getting by on like $8,000 a year, poverty level, very happy with it too. I was just like, I like life like this, very simple. And then it was, I remember it was like three months into it. I felt this surge where I couldn't sleep at night suddenly. Mm. And it was like electricity propelling me to the computer. And we had created like a product line. So I was working with all these companies and health food stores and doing demos and selling to people. And I was just working so hard. I think I was working 60, 70 hours a week. Never did that in my life because there was this survival response that had awakened in me, right? From becoming a father. What was glorious about that was it showed me this whole other part of me that had never been nurtured before. I didn't nurture my masculine parts. I hated my masculine parts. People can listen to the last episode and they'll yeah. know why, more why about that. But, you know, I didn't have a good relationship with that. And then one day while I was driving, I had this thought that came over my mind and it, it said, let yourself parent as a father the way you were mothered by your mother. Because I didn't have a father figure. And so I was trying to figure out like, how does father, I don't know, that I don't feel like a father. So I allowed myself to mother through the body of a father and it kind of brought my own way of fathering out. Uh, and I did become more firm than I ever did before. I became a, a firm person with like a really soft heart. And what I was missing is what you're, you're inquiring about and pointing to is where is the community of men who are also doing this with me? Because I didn't relate to, to I never related to men, but I really didn't relate to them now um, because it was a whole other, my, my sex drive, what I found attractive, what I cared about, everything was changing rapidly. So I couldn't go back to the way things were either, the way we're talking about women yeah. often can. Uh, yet the societal expectations and what I was inheriting, you know, from co certain constructs in my own family was my job was just to support them. And I found myself getting burned out. I found myself getting resentful. And my wife said to me something one day, like, you know, your feminine also deserves to be nurtured. Yeah. And it was this really like eye-opening moment of one thing men who are very open-hearted and, and ambiguous can do for each other is they can actually nurture each man's feminine because they come in with this really nice, solid, sturdy, masculine support system that you can just fall into and be held in a way that women just can't fully do. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so I was lucky enough to start this men group and I called it the moon men because I specifically wanted men that were interested in invoking the feminine, not just being only hyper-masculine or focusing on their masculine qualities. And there were fathers in the group and together we 
held each other and did touch work and body work and we cried together and we did rituals together and it was so nurturing that we went into a feminine space with these male bodies to process the pain we held from having to be the one that gets that supports without getting support and it it changed my life and so now I'm doing that with men too now I have a group where I just work with them about invoking their feminine and supporting each other's feminine so they can be more rounded men not just be the isolated masculines that we're working in and supporting everybody. Mm. What a gift. I, I was speaking to a friend, <clears throat> my spouse and her partner are both veterans. And there's this, you know, split there where there's so much community building and outreach amongst the veteran community there's so many groups but none of that feminine component so it's like here's a group to be a part of but there's no sort of like yes. nurturing in that space and I, I don't mean to like speak like I know this so intimately but my observation yeah. is it's a very different quality space than what you're describing and there's still this sort of like I putting on airs is stronger than what I'm trying to convey, but you know, it's not a place to let the guard down. That's the key right there. We just said, yeah, yeah, we're not That's what like, men don't get to do. They don't get to do that. And so if it's similar to, I think some moms groups where it just becomes like a complaint pit. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. It's not helpful. Like you can yeah. be together with a group all day long, but not get nurturing or holding and like calling upon the strength inside of you, not to like, you know, muster it and do it yourself, but just to, to bring some more balance. Mm. Yeah. I think there's something about new parenthood where there's so much, there's so much mutual pressure you know, there's this expectation that like, well, even I've worked as a postpartum doula and like, my, what's your postpartum plan? Oh, my husband, he's got two weeks off work. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Not a plan. That's a right, recipe right. for disaster. <laughs> That's right. Like yeah. who's holding you, who's feeding you, who's, who are his people to call? Yeah. Well, you're, you're bringing two important things for me. When I hear you say let down their guard, I just think it's such an important statement because somatically we're talking about releasing the bracing, right? Yes. And what happens in both bodies, regardless of their sex, is you have one body that just gave birth, right? That is now bracing against every cry, every shriek, every sound because they don't know what it means or they know it, need, it means they're needed. So there's this constant state of hypervigilance that that body lives in. Then there's this other body that's supporting them, right? And they're bracing because they're exhausted and they have nowhere to unfold. They have these two bodies bracing mm -hmm. together, nowhere to unfold. And this is part of the disaster of the nuclear family is if you had 30 people, even three, let's, let's three extra, say, three extra, three adult. people, like your grand, your parents <laughs> in the house or right next door. 
and ideally parents you liked and enjoyed being around, then the amount of expansion you're given, the way the shoulders fall, the way the breath returns, the way the mind expands to think creatively and be excited about things, all that unfurls from a body that gets to let down its guard. So if you're going to a group, whether it's a mom's group, dad's group, whatever the group is, and you're going to, to trauma bond through complaining or trauma bond through like, we're men, let's scream and throw things, which are, that's what I experienced when I tried men's groups, which was like horrific for me. There, there was just this space where you weren't being encouraged to drop the guard. No one was because everyone was guarded and they were doing their best. You know, no one's bad. They're just doing yeah. their best. But it's the dropping of the guard that is so key for me here in, in what we're talking about. When people listen to this, like, well, what do I do about it? It's like, you, the only thing we can do about it is orient toward experiences and people and practices that drop the guard. Because the guard is just another way of saying trauma, chronic stress, PTSD, adrenaline. When that gets dropped, the body unfolds a bit. Right. So it's identifying like what helps me drop my guard. Well, and you, you really deeply reinforced this for me, but the role of nutrition in Huge. the capacity Huge. to do that, you know, this is why every indigenous culture on the planet has a very specific nutritional protocol for new parents. That's right. And herbs. That's right. You can't, you can't like will yourself to do this that that's an antagonizing energy and the adrenaline of it all and and there's something tricky it's a little off topic but like the role of social media and the internet and for so many that is a point of connection mm-hmm. particularly in the like very housebound early weeks absolutely but how absolutely. that adrenalizes us and, and the story it tells i yeah. mean I think uh, average person on Instagram isn't sharing the real experiences of their life. They're sharing one out of a hundred and they're picking the one that looks the best. So you're, you're connecting, like you're saying, you're laying in bed in pain, you're scrolling, you're getting a sense of stimulation because there's other humans that you're looking at, but it's not relational. There's not a back and forth. And you're seeing a story about a person, the story that they're deciding to put there. So you're going to be getting a lot of comparisons subconsciously. And I, the most pain I see in people any woman I've ever worked with the postpartum, any kind of depression or rage after birth is the comparison of suddenly I feel alone. I feel my life has stopped. I feel I'm not good enough. Where'd they get the idea? If When they drop into their body, they realize, whoa, I'm actually working really hard. I'm actually doing more than I've ever done in my life. I'm actually like really amazing. And they settle into that. Mm-hmm. So th- that's an important piece you bring up because again, this, this re- tribal reflection of this is normal, we're going to help you, we're going to bring you back to life, we're going to bring you the foods and herbs and practices to like respect this body, that's gone. And instead, you see a woman with like, makeup on point, lighting on point, house perfectly clean, talking about what it's like being a new mother. (laughs) It's It's like, it's literally crazy making. Or the opposite, where it's like, just this desperate cry. And like, I'm a lot like the trauma vortex. I mean, it's so it's so chaotic out there and the lack of nuance and the lack of other bodies to be in like, just, just be with. See, that's it right there. Cause what you're speaking to in all this that you're saying is the desperation for connection. Yes. That's all it comes down to. 
So if there's someone that can relate to you as you are in that moment, that's a connection that unfolds the body. That's what actually builds your capacity. The opportunity to speak with you and be in conversation with you is such a pleasure. It's so nourishing. And the only thing that would make it better is to be in the flesh <laughs> and get to, That'd be so nice. you know, gesticulate wildly in the same room. <laughs> I would love to give you uh, some space to share your work right now, upcoming events, where people can find you, anything else you want to put out there. Yeah, um, this is really good timing because we decided to open a second parenting group that starts September I don't know when it's coming out um <laughs> starts September 1st uh 2023 and so um if you go to my website or you just email info at holisticlifenavigation.com you can get the application and the page and the information for that um I'm saying that because the people listening probably want to learn more about this and we Definitely. practice this and we for six months every other week we get together and we spend 90 minutes learning the somatic practices for bringing your parent body back to life <laughs> not even back to life redistributing yeah. its agency and its energy so it can actually rebuild itself each day instead of burn out each day um that in my course you know my six-week course i'm just doing them twice a year now and the next one is in late october this year um, just excellent ways to learn how to build your capacity and be with your body. Um, everything you said about rage and about rage being something that's trying to be heard. Mm -hmm. like until you know the basics of listening to the body through sensation, it's going to sound like a poetic concept rather than like an actual applicable, pra applicable practice. And that's why I love the course. It gives you really direct practices. It's not like strange or hard to understand or esoteric it's direct and so anyone listening can check that out i will give my testimony the course is incredible it was one of the most deep experiences uh, i joked with you before we started recording it was like <laughs> brought me to my knees i said mm. knocked me on my ass it was yeah. both. and it was i felt so held there's all these practices I still have to work with. It's such a generous gift. And um, how many practices are given each week for participants to just practice for the rest of their lives. So I highly recommend. I'll make sure all that information is also in the show notes. And Luis, just thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love being in conversation with you. I was excited when I saw it was you I was speaking to today. So thank you for having me back. It's really, it's nice to speak with someone that embodies this and can really feel from your own bones where this comes from. It's really inspiring. Thank you.